Let's take a moment to express our appreciation for all of our fathers that are among us here today. It's a little bit interesting to me as I watch that video how articulate everyone can be uh, about their fathers because for most of us, our fathers were not the ones who used the most words. Our our fathers might not be the one who expressed the most. Normally that was our mothers. Um, You've seen the statistic that uh, a a woman has about 15,000 words a day and a a man has about 8,000. And so for a stay-at-home mom, you know, she's just barely getting started with her words. And dad, by the time he gets home, he's finished. And so it ends up with a little bit of conflict because women seem to be more expressive about the the way they say things. Uh, I I saw a statistic the other day I thought was really fascinating. He said, when a child comes calls home and the father answers the phone, nine times out of ten, the father will say, Hi, son, here's your mom. Anybody experience that? Yes, every time, all right? But because that's what we think about. And so our fathers seem to be a little bit less on the talkative side than our mothers. But here's what I think, though, is when our fathers spoke, so often when they spoke, we really paid attention to. Where moms might be talking and talking, it might be threatening and threatening. When dad spoke and said, here's the way it's going to be, everybody sort of looked up in the family and said, this is a different story, all right? And so maybe they used fewer words. I know they did in our family. But when those words came, they were powerful, they were meaningful, and they said something. Because so often in our families, our fathers have had to be the truth tellers. I like how Teresa Messick described her dad as, as one with a gentle spirit and yet convictions. And so often our families, our fathers have been the one who had to say, okay, guys, I've had enough discussion about this. We've heard this. This is the right thing to do. And this is what we're going to do. End of discussion. They were great truth tellers. And today as we we talk about Jesus, I want to talk about Jesus as the truth teller. The one who sometimes, just like our father, might have spoke what we didn't want to hear. And it might have even been a little bit uncomfortable but it was the truth. Let's set up the story we're going to look at today. For instance, let's say you are in Washington, D.C., and you've been invited to an ambassador's home, and you've never invited to this situation before, and you know when you walk into this home, there's going to be all kinds of important people. There'll be Supreme Court justices. There'll be cabinet members. There might even be a prime minister. And you're going to go to that home. And the night before, you have laid out what you're going to wear, you want to be dressed appropriately, you want to say just the right thing, and you walk into that home. And let's say you walk in the home and all eyes are just wandering around until you commit some kind of faux pas. I mean, you just do the absolute wrong thing and all eyes turn on you. And everybody's embarrassed and you're embarrassed for yourself because you did the wrong thing. That's where we're going to see Jesus today. But what I I want you to see today is when Jesus comes into that situation, he is the truth teller. He doesn't mind saying what's uncomfortable there that nobody wants to hear. Look in your Bible at Luke chapter 11. We're going to look at verse 37, all right? 
When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Now please understand this. This is not a hygiene issue here, all right? This is not about Jesus going to the table with dirty hands. What it is, it's a religious issue to these people. They've taken the law the Pharisees have, and they've added to it the tradition of the Pharisees. And here's what the problem was when Jesus walked the earth. Their traditions had become equal with the law. And for Jesus to come in and not wash his hands, even to not wash them in a certain manner, the way you washed your hands, the way you rubbed them, the way you allowed the water to drip off your hands, that was all a big deal. And that's what religion had become all about. And so Jesus deliberately walks in this home. Everybody else goes by the basin and washes their hands except Jesus. And then he sits down to eat and he has committed the faux pas. And everybody in the room has their eyes on him and they're embarrassed that he has broken the rules. Look at verse 39. Then the Lord said to him, now then you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Well, what happens here? Jesus says, okay guys, yeah, I'm, I didn't wash. About your washing. It's a cover up. It make, man, you guys look incredible on the outside, man. You know how to go through all the religious motions and do everything just perfectly. But all it is is a cover-up for what is going on inside of you. And the truth of the matter is despite you looking so religious and your hands are cleaner than my hands, you are full of greed and wickedness. I don't think Jesus was concerned about being invited back. Do you? I mean, he's not concerned about that. But here, here I want to remind you of something here. You are watching love in action. Anything Jesus does is full of love. So why is he this way? I mean, to me, when I read this story, it doesn't look loving. And honestly, it doesn't even look polite. I mean, why doesn't he just go along with their traditions? Let me tell you this, because he loves them. And here's the issue here, is Jesus is the truth teller, and they are delusional. And the more delusional someone is, the tougher Jesus was with the truth, right? It's not because he doesn't love these people, it's because he does love them. Now, we understand this. Uh, have you ever been a part of an intervention in your life? Uh, twice in my life I've had to be a part of an intervention, one with a friend, one with a family member. You know, what's happened there is that you've tried every gentle approach you can to try to bring this person to truth. Different people have talked to him about it. You've sort of warned them about it. Everybody's tried to say, you need to stop. You know, you got this issue in your life and, and they've been deceived. And they're rather delusional about that they don't have a problem. That's what most addicts are like. They don't think they have a problem. And so finally, in a desperate attempt to change things, you bring all the people who love them the most into a room. And somehow you, you trick them into being there in that room. And you sit them down and you begin to speak love and truth. You tell the person how much you love them, how much you care about them. And the truth is where you have seen their life go and how out of control it is. And then you get sort of tough. 
and you say, here is the pathway for you to get better. And if you don't choose that pathway, then we're going to have to cut you off, which is the toughest thing you would ever say to someone that you love. But it might be the most loving thing you've ever said. And that's where Jesus is in the story. It's not that he doesn't care about the Pharisees. It's that they're so deceived and so delusional, he's doing everything he can to bust through their delusion because he is that truth teller. Now let's look at another story where Jesus is at another dinner engagement and he has to tell the truth. This one's more gentle, but nonetheless, it's the truth. Luke chapter 10, go back a chapter. Verse 38, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister's left me to do the work by myself? Would you please tell her to help? Help me? How about an awkward moment? Jesus and Mary in the den talking. Martha's out here trying to get supper on the table. She wants everything to be just right. And, and so finally she's just fed up and she walks in the den and she says Jesus you got to take sides on this Mary's just goofing off I'm doing all the work would you tell her to help me now before we get to the end of the story how would you have responded to that I, I think the nice southern way of dealing with this would have been oh Mary great day man we we have just left Martha to do all the work what were we thinking Martha you were so good Come on, Mary, let's, let's take a break, Mary, and let's go help Martha get this finished so we can all enjoy it. At a minimum, Jesus, you think, would have said, okay, man, I've been spending time with Mary. Martha, you're obviously a little bit uptight about this thing, and I, I, we put you in an awkward position. I'll help you, man. I'll help you. I'll get up and I'll help you. That's at least we would have done. But that's not what Jesus does. In this moment, he speaks some hard truth. He says these words. Here are the next words. Martha, Martha. You are so worried and concerned about so many things, but only one thing matters, and Mary has chosen it, and it will not be taken away from her. What's the issue here? Martha's got the Lord in her home, and she's more concerned with the preparations and the meal than she is actually with spending time with Him. It's not that Martha's doing some kind of evil deed, right? She's not back in the kitchen smoking dope. At least the Bible doesn't say that, right? What's she doing? She's just missing out on time with Jesus. And so instead of Jesus doing the sweet thing and going, Oh, my Mary, let's get up and go help her. You know she needs some help. You know she's a little uptight. You know she's going to go crazy if we don't. Jesus looked her in the face and says, Martha, here, here's your problem. Is you are too uptight about too many things. It's a great contrast in this passage. Too many things. There's one thing that really matters, and that's spending time with me. And that's what Mary's chosen, and it's eternal. It could never be taken away from her. Now, th this story is more gentle than our last story, but we're dealing with a softer heart. And, and, and Jesus is not a cookie-cutter Messiah who deals with everybody the same way. If you're a parent, you understand this. If you have more than one child, you know you may have some child that all you need to do is just look across the room at them and give them the look and they will stop it. And then you probably have another child 
that you're going to have to bust their bottom. You know what I'm saying? They're different. And Jesus is the same way. It's not that he loves Martha more than he loves this Pharisee. He loves them both equally. But they deserve unequal treatment. And so he's a little bit softer with Martha, but he still speaks true. So, So write this down, if you would, about Jesus' honesty. Jesus' honesty, first of all, is disruptive. It makes people uncomfortable. Jesus was not afraid of making people uncomfortable. Second, Jesus' honesty was loving. Please understand, we live in a culture, especially in the South, where we think, you know, to say straightforward, tough words is unloving or uncaring. But in times, it's the most loving thing you could do. If you've gone to the doctor and he's done tests and you have very serious stage of cancer, would you want him to be too loving to tell you, oh, I just can't break it to him. It's going to hurt him too bad. Uh, this is going to disrupt their life too much if I tell them. And then he meets with the family. They all agree that they're not going to tell you. You would be offended at that because that wouldn't be the loving thing to do. And then one more thing about Jesus' honesty is it's just absolutely unusual. It, it just doesn't happen very often, does it? Now, I've been reading a book by John Eldridge that's really helped me with this message. It's called Beautiful Outlaw. And listen to what he says about this kind of honesty. Now, in order to appreciate how beautiful this is, think of how rarely it occurs and how even more rarely it is done well. Listen to this quotation. Most people go through their entire lives without anyone ever speaking honest, loving, direct words to the most damaging issues in their lives. Pause for a moment and count the times this has been done for you. Better, pause and count the times you've offered it to someone else in love. Wow, he's right. This kind of honesty is disruptive, it's loving, and it's really rare. So let's talk for a moment. Why aren't we more honest with each other? Let me give you some reasons. Number one, it's costly. It just costs us a lot. To tell someone the truth is often painful for you and for them and for your relationship. Eldred goes on to write, let's be honest. Why aren't we more honest with each other? Because it will cost us. John the Baptist got his head handed to him on a platter for for telling it like it is. So what do we do? We kill the messenger when we don't like the message. We don't want to pay that bill. If we speak as honestly as Jesus does, if we even venture into that hallowed sanctuary of someone else's precious sin, it's going to make the relationship messy at the least. Why don't you tell Eldridge Wright, your mother-in-law, that she's a fearful, controlling woman? Why don't you tell your pastor that his children hate him because of his sanctified hypocrisy? Why don't you tell your best friend that most of the time they are selfish and self-centered and you carry all the burdens of maintaining the relationship? And then Eldridge writes, we're cowards. That's why. It's costly to speak truth. Number two, I would say often we don't speak truth because we don't care enough. Because if I do speak the truth, it means things have gotten to go to, got to go to a deeper level. 
If I say to you, you've got a problem, or you say to me, I've got a problem, then, then what we're signing up to is, is helping someone with that problem. So what we would prefer to do is just sort of pretend and, and turn a blind eye. Number three, I think sometimes we're not honest because we've seen it done without love. We've seen religious people, we've seen preachers, we've seen people that, that spoke, you know, like the street preachers, just condemning and angry. See, for a lot of us, here's our problem. I know this is my problem. A lot of times because, you know, we, we like to be liked and we really don't want to offend anybody. For me, often to say the truth, I've got to work myself up to almost an angry state. Because I don't say it when I'm calm. And, and, and when I ought to have said it right up front is, you know, what you did the other day was really not right. I have to work myself up until I get angry. And then when it explodes then, it explodes ugly. And we've seen it. We've seen it done with, without love. I always loved the quotation I read years ago. It said, I went to church every Sunday and the preacher told me I was going to hell and I walked out angry every time. But then one Sunday I went to church and there was a different preacher and he told me I was going to hell, but he told me with tears in his eyes. And I had to give my life to Jesus. See, we've seen, it, we've seen it done too often without love, and so we avoid it. Number four, we're aware of our own faults. Often I don't want to confront you about what's going on in your life because I am too well aware that I have a bunch of faults on my own. And if I'm going to confront your faults, then my faults, well, yes, they need to be confronted. And then number five, I think one of our big problems is today's culture of acceptance. We, we, we live in a time where everything is okay. Now, the word acceptance, the, the word has changed definitions on us, if you haven't noticed. 20 years ago, if you said you accepted someone, it meant you were, you were nice and you were kind to them and, and you treated everyone fairly and the same. It didn't mean you agreed with everything with them. It didn't mean you condoned every action that they had. If you come in this church, we want to promise you, in our view of acceptance, that we're going to accept you right where you are. And we hope you accept us the same way. But that doesn't mean we agree on everything. But here's the problem. In today's culture, acceptance means not only must you treat me nicely, but you've got to condone what I do. And, and, and so, if we're dealing with people, you know, who are living together outside of marriage, acceptance in today's culture says you can't say anything about that or you're judging if you say something about homosexuality, you are completely, quickly labeled as a homophobic. And there's no middle ground. And we have a culture that says the only thing you can accept is someone with convictions. And that's wrong. And yet I think sometimes that keeps us back from speaking truth because let's just be honest here. <laughs> is that okay in this sermon? When we start speaking truth, it's going to be politically incorrect. So, here's what I want you to see this morning. We must see that our silence is costly. If we don't speak truth, then people around us are doomed to live their life out as either hard-hearted Pharisees or as controlling Marthas. Because we're not willing to speak the truth. So let's close out our last 10 minutes here. How do we become a loving truth teller? How do we get past this? First of all, 
I think you've got to allow Jesus' honesty to startle you. You know, as we're going through this message series on reflections of Jesus and how we ought to reflect him, because does, the picture we're looking at today doesn't fit our picture of the sweet, gentle Jesus who would never offend a flea. Now, Jesus doesn't set out to be offensive, but he does offend. There's a difference. If you use racist language, we would say that that's offensive. It's offensive because it reveals something dirty and ugly in you, all right? But if you point out to me that I'm drinking way too much, you're not pointing out to me, you're pointing out something that's going to help me be a better person. There's a big deal. Now, it may offend me, that's going to be my choice. But it's not seeking to be offensive. So first of all, we've got to be startled by Jesus and his, his honesty. And then number two, allow Jesus to speak truth to you. How many of us are willing for Jesus' words to really penetrate us? I mean, Thomas Jefferson, I think probably one of our greatest presidents, loved the ethical teachings of Jesus. But he couldn't buy into the miracles of Jesus. So we understand that Thomas Jefferson literally took his Bible with a pair of scissors and cut out all the miracle stories about Jesus because he didn't want to hear that. And many of us, we don't want to hear the truth about what Jesus has said. And so we may not literally cut it out of our Bible, but we're not willing to be startled by it. And we're not willing for it to speak to us. Let me just, let me just give you some quotations today. Just listen to some of the words of Jesus. I think they were made to startle. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? Some of us need to hear that. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says something we probably don't want to hear. Enter through the narrow gates, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Or maybe we need to listen to him later in that chapter. Not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not enough just to meet here today and worship. But he that does the will of my Father... That's the person that will enter the kingdom of heaven. Or how about what Jesus said to the greedy rich man? But God, or God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you prepared for yourself? This is how it will be, Jesus says, with whoever stores up for themselves but is not rich toward God. Are we willing to hear what Jesus actually says about our money? Are we willing to hear Luke chapter 13, verse 3? I tell you, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. And in the culture of everything goes, are we willing to listen to Jesus in John 14, verse 6, where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. 
You see, that one verse is extremely offensive in the day we live. Because Jesus claims exclusivity. That he is the only way. Now here's the deal. Before we become truth speakers, we've got to allow Jesus to speak truth in our life. If Jesus could speak truth in your life this morning, what would he say to you? What is that area of life that you have kept off limits to him, where you have not listened to the word of God, where you don't want to hear it? What would he say to you? We also, if we're going to become truth tellers, we need to allow other people to speak truth to you, to us. And how do we do that? We need to invite that. In the relationships that you're in, especially the spiritual relationships that you're in, would you invite someone to say, you know, I've made a goal in my life. I became a Christian. It's sort of radical. And I'd like to be as much like Jesus as possible. And if you see something in me that's not like Jesus, an attitude language, a demeanor, a habit, would you please point it out to me because I I need your help. That's why God's put us here. Are we willing to invite other people to give that kind of input? I know some of the the, the best input I've received in my life were with people and family members, frankly, who are honest enough to tell me the truth about my blind spots. And then the final point here is to allow Jesus to speak truth through you. You've allowed Jesus to speak truth to you. You've allowed other people in your life close enough, this is so unusual today, to speak truth to you. Can you now become the truth teller like Jesus? Or are we going to have the courage to say to our friend, yes, you are drinking way too much and you need to get some help. Are we going to have the courage to say to that person that's in our life group who almost every week says, you know, I really need to start reading my Bible. I'm not reading my Bible. It would really be different in my life if I would read my Bible. When are we going to have the courage to take that person aside and say, when are you going to start doing it? Every week in our group you say the exact same thing. When will you make a move about it? Do we have the courage to say to that person who's spending money left and right, whose family stays in debt all the time, is always having to ask somebody else for a handout, the truth is you'd be okay if you'd live within your means. Do we have the courage to speak to our friend who speaks unlovingly to their wife or their husband or their child? Do we have the courage to speak truth to that person who's lazy and the truth is they need to go get a job? Do we have the courage to speak to that person that is controlling about everything around him or her that you know what, you've got a problem with control and you need to let go of some of your control and let somebody else have some leadership? Do we have the courage to speak to people whose priorities are all out of line and say, you know, you look in your life and your family is all centered around this. And the things that ought to count are getting neglected. Do we have the courage to say to someone, you know, I love you, but if you keep heading in this direction, you are not going to make it where you want to be. Do we have that kind of courage? Are we willing to be truth tellers like Jesus, even when it's uncomfortable? But we're willing to do it even when it's unusual.
because we're loving. We're not talking about being unloving to people here. We're talking about the exact opposite. We're talking about loving someone enough to speak truth into their life that they need to hear and allowing people to do the same with us. I'll close with this scripture, John 1 verse 17. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus has the perfect tension or balance, I don't know how you want to put it, between grace and truth. Listen to me. When Jesus speaks that hard truth in your life and pulls the rug out from under you, you got to know at the same time he's going to reach out this hand of grace to pick you up. Listen, Jesus is not going to point out a problem in your life that he's not willing to invest in you to help you overcome that problem and to even thrive in your life. He gives both grace and he gives truth. I want you to love that about Jesus. I love what he said to that adulterous woman. I don't condemn you. I'm not condemning you. That's not my job here. That's not what I want to do. You just need to go and stop sinning. It's pretty bold, isn't it? Just stop it. Do we have that kind of love? You see, Jesus was full of grace and truth. I ask you today, are we full of grace and truth? Are you walking in this church new? What I want to say to you is we want to be a church that is full of grace. There's nothing that you have done Know where you've been, no matter how far you've fallen, they can't be forgiven. But at the same time, you've got to be willing to accept the truth of who Jesus is and his claims on your life. We want to be full of grace and truth. And maybe today, as we've gone through this message, you have heard the Lord, maybe through some of the scriptures we've read, maybe just through your spirit, you've heard the Lord say to you, there is some truth that you have been avoiding and the day you need to come to grips with it your priorities are out of whack you've got some habits that are just completely ungodly the way you treat people is not the way Jesus treated people I've been avoiding this truth and and I'm hearing it today here's what I want to say to you today if you if you need our prayers then you're gonna get a lot of grace Oh, oh, we want you to face truth or we wouldn't be followers of Jesus. But we want to extend grace because we're in the same boat you're in. There's no way we could make it. Jesus spoke truth in our life. He's disrupted all of our life. He's made us all uncomfortable at one point or the other. Or you hadn't been following Jesus. But he's also been so gracious. And so with one another... It's so incredible because I don't think the world has seen this modeled. I don't sure, I'm not sure people really believe it can happen. We can be a place of grace and truth. I think a lot of people have never experienced it in church. We can be a place of grace and truth. And in fact, you could experience that right now while we stand together and sing.